So we're now into Genesis chapter 40. And last week we looked at the whole aspect that God uses all trials to help us mature and prepare us for future ministry and and for the purpose of his gospel being proclaimed. And we looked at the fact that Joseph had to overcome an incredible trial, the advances of Potiphar's wife. And we looked at the nature of that temptation, the strength of that temptation, uh, almost the overwhelmingness of that temptation. And yet, we saw that by God's grace, that Joseph was able to, able to overcome that only to be falsely accused and thrown into the king's prison. Today we're talking about God's trials, our preparation we're now into a chapter in which Joseph, Joseph is now probably 27. He was taken into captivity when he was 17. So he's been at Potiphar's house for a few years and he's been in the prison. And there's no hope of getting out. He's there. And as far as he knows, he'll die in that prison. God has given him a vision of what would happen. He he does, the scripture doesn't tell us how hard he was hanging on to that, that hope of something future. But in this passage, something happens in the king's court, and two people are in the doghouse, the cupbearer and the baker, and they find themselves coming into the prison, and amazingly, the captain of the guard assigns them to Joseph. Well, who's the captain of the guard? Remember from last week? Started with a P, Potiphar. Potiphar, the captain of the guard, assigns these two men to Joseph. And here is Joseph's first ray of hope. I'm, I'm talking to these men. These men talk to Pharaoh. There's, you know, there's hope here. This, this might be my chance to get out. So let's walk through this passage together. Um, looking, we're going to look today at the reasons that God brings trials our way, and then we're going to look at what this particular passage deals with, and that is God, how God supercharges trials. We love having supersized fries. We don't like having supersized trials. And what God does, he has a little modifier. It's called time. So we can all hang on for so long in this trial, and then God does what? He spreads it out a little farther. And we're going to talk today about the fact that our idea of when it's time to be over with the trial and God's idea of when it's time to be over with the trial are usually different. And usually our idea is a lot shorter than God's. So the main... Thought today is God uses the trials in our lives to mature us in Christ, to use us to minister to those around us now, and prepare us for greater works of service later. When Christ calls us his disciples, he calls us to become refined for his purposes. That's why he says in Luke 9, 23, 
Jesus said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. It's time to get rid of your agenda. It's time to embrace God's agenda. And God's agenda is denying yourself. Taking up whatever cross God has laid in your path. Dying to yourself and following him daily. That is the call of Christ. And that is the beauty of this whole story is that Joseph is a wonderful picture of a servant of God. All kinds of bad things happen to him. And yet he continues to bounce back. And to be faithful in those situations. And all the time God is refining him. Christ's goal is to make us like himself. Christ's goal is to purify us. In 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7, we read this. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Here we have those wonderful word trials again. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it's tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So Paul's talking to those saints in 1 Peter, and he's telling them that you have gone through trials, and the purpose of those trials is to purify your faith so that you are completely trusting Christ and your hope is from Christ and Christ alone. Now, I have here a, an American silver eagle. And for this coin to get to this spot in my hand, it has gone through a lot of refining. This coin is 0.999% pure silver. It's been refined and refined and refined. And finally, it goes to the mint and they press it out. This also is real money, by the way. I won't get into that today. Kind of popped out a little bit there. So as you picture this, this is what God wants to do with us. He wants to continue to refine us and remove more and more of the sinful impurities in our life until... We shine with the glory of Christ. And he calls us to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. But he also knows that we're going to need a little help. And so the trials come that he gives us. Trials that we can't avoid. And we do our best to avoid trials, don't we? Do I hear an amen on that? Yes. I mean, we see a trial, we try to figure out a way to get out of that. Any way, shape, or form. We see a traffic jam, we're going some other direction. We don't like trials. Even though the Bible says, consider it pure joy when we face trials. Every athlete, to be his best, must have a coach who does what? Makes him do the hard things. Makes him do strength training. Makes him do endurance training. Go, going over and over and over again, every play and every technique 
My high school coach was a master teacher of the game of basketball. And we practiced and practiced and broke the game down into every little segment and went over it and over it and over it and over it. And we didn't complain because we knew that this was the road to winning, to success. The soldier needs the commander to drill and drill and train and drill and train and drill and train so that when he comes to the battlefield, he's ready. He's purified. He's ready. He's ready for battle. He knows what to face. He faces every situation. This is what God does with us through trials. He uses them to refine us and to make us useful for the purposes And so we are watching in the life of Joseph, God refine a man for something God has planned that he doesn't even know about. We talked about that last week, the secret plan of God. God has a plan for you. He has good works prepared in advance that you're going to walk in those. And he's going to prepare you By bringing the vicissitudes of life upon you. That you will be equipped and and ready to do what he's called you to do. Let's look at the reasons that God allows trials. It's kind of our first point here. First point is, the reason there's trials in the first place is because there was a fall. Because of the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden... And the introduction of sin into the world, there is now trials to deal with. There are horrible things that happen in this life that we experience or we watch people experience. We just were on our way to church this morning and found out that our nieces, one of her dear friends, just died this week. 20, 26, 27. Don't know the details. She's gone. You know, on our trip to Colorado, we actually were about maybe three minutes behind an accident that killed two people. Saw this tractor trailer turned upside down in the ditch, and it was awful. This world, because of the fall of man and sin being introduced into this world, there's a lot of evil. There's a lot of pain and suffering and hardship. And God uses those things in our lives. So first of all, one of the reasons for trials is because God has given men and angels the freedom to choose. And we know that Satan chose the choice he made and has brought his own set of evil into the world. Secondly, another reason God uses trials is that we're in a battle. There's two kingdoms at war with each other. The kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of light. The world, the flesh, and the devil are in an all-out assault against God's grand plan of redemption. And we see that Paul battles that all the time in all of his missionary journeys to try to reach out to those who need Christ. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the, dark, the darkness, against authorities, 
against the cosmic powers over this present age, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We're in a warfare. There are going to be trials. There are going to be challenges that we face. Third, God allows his servants to go through trials to prepare them for his service. And we see this in the life of a lot of the saints. We see this in the life of Job. Matter of fact, God points Job out to Satan and says, have you noticed my servant Job? How many of you would like God to point you out to Satan? Have you noticed my servant Cody or my servant Michael? We know what happened with Job. We have David. David was fleeing for his life before he ever came to be the king. And God had made the promise he would be king, and yet he waited and he waited and he waited and he waited finally for Saul to die. We know Elijah in his story. Jeremiah, Paul, the disciples, Jesus. The world did not receive Jesus. 1 Peter 2, 19-21 For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. That's a description of Joseph. Joseph did nothing wrong for his brothers to betray him. Joseph did nothing wrong. He did the right thing to resist the advances of Potiphar's wife. And he suffered unjustly for that. He's done nothing to, to make him deserve prison, and yet he's there. And he's been there for years, waiting for God to move him to the next step. But God, the scripture says in 1 Peter, it's a gracious thing. When you suffer wrongly, when you have God in mind. So we have a choice when we face suffering. There's always suffering that we face when we do something we shouldn't do. But when we've done what we're supposed to do and we suffer, the Bible says if you have Christ in your mind, if you're thinking of God and bearing up under this, God loves that. He loves that. And then he says this, For to this you have been called. To what we have been called? We have been called to suffer. This is the message that's been lost in most of Christendom in America. That message does not get out very often that we have been called to suffer. And it's a glorious thing that we get to follow in his steps. And he says, you've been called to suffer because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Christ goes before us as our captain. And he showed us how to live this life. And he laid his life down to pay for our sin, but also to what? To leave an example that this is the kind of life we are to live. We are to live a life of sacrifice and suffering for the name of Christ. The Beatitudes, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. 
for they will be filled. They will be strengthened. They will be encouraged. This is part of the Christian life. To suffer for the name of Christ. James 1, 2 through 4. Count it all joy, brothers, when you meet trials of many kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or perseverance. And let perseverance or steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Romans 9 tells us what? God's the potter and we're the what? Clay. And it tells us in, in, that, in that passage that the potter has the right over the clay to do whatever he has to do to that clay to make it the way he wants it. And so when we've been in this relationship with Christ, we are in a blessed relationship with him. It is glorious. We have him with us. We have purpose and meaning to life. We have a grand mission to accomplish. And we get to share with him in his sufferings. If you remember, the, the 12 or the 11 went before the Sanhedrin. And they were told not to speak in the name of Jesus anymore. Remember that? And they said, you determine which is better, for us to obey God or to obey you. And they were flogged. And the scripture says, and they went away rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer for Christ. It is a glorious thing to, to be in these, in, in, in these situations of trials. Is it easy? No. Is it a battle? It sure is. Is it a lonely place? It sure can be. When you're going through a battle and everybody says, how's it going? When you tell them and they go, oh, well, I'll pray for you. Head on down the road. Joseph found the key. He knew God was with him. He knew God was in control. And he knew that God had spared his life at least twice. And he knew he belonged to Christ. And so he was able to bear up under this trial. Fourth, God uses trials to give direction to our lives. A lot of times trials come and they are such a nature that they actually move us places and change the direction and course of our lives. Remember in Acts chapter 1, Acts 8-1, if you want to turn there real quickly. Acts 8-1. Everyone was in Jerusalem. They were all enjoying fellowship. The church was growing by leaps and bounds. And then we have the persecution of Stephen. Remember Stephen stood before the religious leaders and he declared the truth of Christ. And he was killed, he was stoned. And in verse 1 of chapter 8 we read this. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. So here we see a situation where a great trial, the persecution of the church in Jerusalem 
causes the church to be flung like seed all over that world. And everywhere they went, they proclaimed the gospel of Christ. So here's a trial that God uses to blow his church out of Jerusalem and take the gospel to Judea, to Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world. We had a guest speaker at the Hill Country Pregnancy Help Center presentation back in, I think it was January. Had to be January since it's just turned February. Her name was Melissa. She was the survivor of a saline abortion that was overseen by her grandmother. And it has set her course on a path in which she stands for life. And she calls people to the truth of saving life. And she ministers to those families who have been devastated by abortion. And she talked about the whole issue that abortion destroys marriages. It destroys families. No one knows the full ramifications of what abortion does. But her life has been put on a trajectory that started when she was in utero. Sometimes a trial will dramatically change us and our trajectory in life. Joseph's trials definitely changed his trajectory. He had no plan to be anywhere but in Canaan with his dad and with his family and to enjoy the blessings that God had there. And through the wickedness of his brothers, he was all of a sudden heading down to Egypt on a path he didn't know. So trials do that. They change the direction of our lives. And we look at the training that he went through. He was in his father's house, and we see him trying to give direction to his brothers. We see him taking over the household of Potiphar and completely giving direction and running every detail of that household. We now see in Genesis 40 that he has now walked into the prison and it didn't take long before his skills were noticed and now everything was in his control again. And all these were preparatory steps getting him ready for his his magnum opus being second in command of Egypt providing a place for the seed of the woman through Judah to protect the line of Christ and to provide care for all those afflicted by the famine. He would have never thought that. His plan in prison was what? I just want out. Real simple. One pair of clothes, let me out. I'm good. I'm good to go. And I'm heading right back to mom and dad in Canaan. I'm heading that way. Don't hold me back. need to remember this. There is never a time, a place, or a situation in which God does not have a purpose 
for you to fulfill. I'm sure Joseph could have felt he was biding his time in Potiphar's house. He could have been biding his time in prison. Oh, why am I here? What's going on? When I, got, I can't do anything here. When I, when I get out, then I'll do this. When I get out, I'll do that. Listen, do not wait to do anything. You have a purpose right now. If you're a young person here, well, once I get married, I'll do X, Y, and Z. Why are you waiting? You have no guarantee of when you're going to get married. What are you doing now to fulfill the purposes of God in your life? Well, this thing is just so hard and we just don't have any finances, but once we get this, then we're going to do that. No, you're not. Do not, anywhere you are in your life, you may think it's the worst dead end in the world. I'm wasting all my talents. The question is, what has God called you to do in that situation? For Joseph, he always had... Notice Joseph was always busy. Everybody around him gave him their job to do. And he took it. And he went with it. And he ministered. And he organized. And he ran the households. It's easy though, isn't it? When we've been dealt a blow, like the, like the rejection of our brothers, or false accusation, it's easy to become focused on who? Us. And to have a, have a pity party. It's not, it is very easy to do that. Why me, Lord? Why did this happen to me? You're probably not going to get the answer to that. And if you get any answer at all, it'll be down the road 15 years when you look back and kind of see how the Lord moved that in your life. Wherever you are right now, whatever your situation, whatever trial you're going through, the question is, how do I, how do I respond to this trial and what does God have me to do in this situation? Be productive where you're planted. Joseph did, and all of it was preparation for running the kingdom of Egypt, of all things. No promises that that will be your final assignment. Okay, there's a disclaimer here, okay? But whatever God has for you, all these things you're facing, whether you planned them or whether you didn't plan them, are part of the training ground that gets you ready for what God has for you. You're John Bunyan. You're thrown in prison for preaching the gospel. What are you going to do? Are you going to write Pilgrim's Progress? Or are you going to sit there and just get depressed and become completely inward? That's default mode. Apart from the grace of God, becoming, becoming self-focused and pitting ourselves is default mode. Only by the grace of God, only by walking with Him, are we able to climb over that hurdle, whatever it is, by His grace. Second Corinthians 1, 4 through 7. A lot of times the trials we face 
open up opportunities to minister to people going through the same trial. 2 Corinthians 1, 4-7, he's talking about God and His Spirit, and he says, He who comforts us in all our afflictions, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. God has not chosen, and we already talked about this, to keep us in a little bubble where we never face the trials of life. He puts us in the same trials other people go through so that when people are in those trials, we can come alongside with special compassion and special empathy to really care because we really know what it's like in that situation because we went through it. Those of us who haven't gone through that trial can only imagine what that's like. And it's a great comfort to the body to be able to come alongside for people who've experienced that particular trial or that particular suffering or that particular pain. For them to come alongside and tell you, Christ is enough. Trust in God. Don't be discouraged. This will pass. I had a situation in my life that was pretty painful. And I remember a pastor coming to me one time and said, listen. He said, right now it's painful. He says, but give it three or four years. And it'll be all different than what it appears to be right now. Those words were gold. Those words were gold. And such an encouragement. And why could he say that? Because he had experienced the same thing. Your trials, you don't get a chance to choose them. Wish we could. But what he brings your way, know that it's not just going to be for you. It's going to be for somebody else as well. And so, learn what you need to learn in that trial Learn to hold on to Jesus through that trial and to trust God and His promises in the midst of the trial so that on the other side, and, and when you fall and you don't do like you're supposed to do, you can share that as well, that we're not perfect. And that it's okay if you're discouraged today. Put your eyes back on Jesus. Because nobody, nobody walks through a trial perfectly. The only one who did that was Jesus. So he says, um, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort. So when we're going through it and there's nobody else around to comfort us, who comforts us? According to this passage of Scripture. God does. There was nobody else there to comfort Joseph. Potiphar wasn't comforting Joseph. None of the servants of Potiphar's house were comforting Joseph. Nobody in prison was comforting Joseph. Who comforted Joseph? We read that in verse 21, don't we, of chapter 39. But the Lord was with 
Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Well, Lord, I don't like your idea of steadfast love. My idea of steadfast love is I'm out of this prison. And I am justified with that false accusation over there. That's my idea of steadfast love. You don't get to define steadfast love. But it is steadfast love. Because God had a bigger purpose in this trial than just to get Joseph out of it. There were things he needed to learn in and through this trial. And the scripture doesn't delineate all that. But he needed to go through that trial. I remember we had a coach came back from a, some camp or something. And he had this crazy drill he wanted us to do. This was when I was playing with athletes in action. And this is the way the drill went. You did figure eight. Michael knows figure eight. Throwing the ball. The, but the wrinkle was you had to step out of bounds every time. You had to be all the way out, spread out. You could not bounce the ball, and you could not travel. I think Oregon State did this drill. So here we are, and we're going to do it right 20 times, or we're going to do it all day. Well, guess what? We did it all day. Everybody was murmuring and complaining and griping. Because there was no way to do it. The drill was impossible to do. You had to lob the ball in the air, hoping the guy could run around and get to the ball the next time. I mean, it was just, it was. So, in the midst of that trial, you have a choice to make. Am I going to just bear up under this trial and move forward with it and have a good attitude and just run, my, run myself to death for two hours? Or am I going to murmur and complain and gripe? What was the purpose of that trial? Part of it was the coach wanted to see if we would do what he said no matter what he said. And the answer was, at the beginning, we weren't going to do whatever he said. And as we got into the drill, we began to realize more and more, we need to do what the coach says. We don't always understand the trials we face or the situations we come with. But God has a purpose for them. And you may not see it, but that's okay. It's called faith, isn't it? Next point on why do we have trials? God uses trials as opportunities to purify our worship of Christ. Job 1.11. Remember, Satan comes before Job. Before God, and he points out Job. God says, well, God points out Job and says, have you noticed my servant Job? And, and this is what Satan says. He basically says, Job doesn't worship you for no reason. He worships you because you're blessing him. That's the only reason he's worshiping you. And he says in verse 11, but just stretch out your hand and touch all that he has. And he will curse you to your face. Now what's on the line here? 
What's on the line here is the glory of God, isn't it? Does our worship of God stem only because of the good things he's done for us? Or does our worship of God matter and happen whether we're blessed or whether we're not? That was the gauntlet thrown down by Satan. The only reason he's worshiping you is because you're giving him everything. Curse what he's doing and he'll curse you to your face. In trials, we get to scrape away and see what our worship really is. Is our worship really because of who he is? For his glory and his honor alone? Or is it dependent upon our blessing level? And when we face a trial, especially a trial that takes away some blessings, what happens to our worship ratio? Does the worship odometer go... It's tempting, isn't it? When the trial comes and the blessings go, the blessings to our health or our finances or our relationships or our way of life, we can immediately go what? Focus right here. And... I tried to be faithful to God and look what he did, did for me. So trials refine our worship. Look at Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail. They had had a wonderful day. They'd been flogged. They get there. They're in, they're in chains. And it's time to worship. Are we able to worship like that? In the midst of a trial? In the midst of a storm? In the midst of persecution or suffering? In the midst of great personal pain to us? Are we able to lift our voice and worship? God is worthy of our worship. No matter what our circumstances. If we have nothing, He is worthy. If we have everything, he is worthy. Paul said, I've learned that no matter what my situation, whether in plenty or in want, that my God shall supply all my needs, and he is what? I can do all things through Christ. And he also knew that God's worthy of worship. The Bible says from the rising of the sun to the setting of the same, God is worthy of worship. And I don't know about you, but I know for me, he's not getting it from the rising of the sun to the setting of the same. He's getting it here and there along the way. And it picks up a whole lot more when things are going good. And when things are not going good, it kind of, kind of tapers off a little bit. Because I've got to focus on this problem over here I've got to solve. And lastly, God uses trials. This is all part of that first point. God uses trials to wean us off confidence in other things. You know, we live in a culture where everybody's to be independent and they're to be the rugged individual and they're to solve all their problems or to be the self-made man or woman. When God allows a trial in our life that we cannot avoid and we can't readily get out of once we're in it, 
What happens to that rugged individualism? What happens to that confidence in yourself? He just cuts the legs right out from under that. I'm in control of my destiny. I'm, you know, the way I think is the way I'm going to be and all this kind of stuff. Oh, really? Here's a trial for you. Try that one. Joseph couldn't get out of this trial. I mean, he, he tried. He tried to plead with his brothers, please don't do this. I'm sure he tried to plead with Potiphar. I didn't do anything. He had no control. And this is why, this is why we hate trials. Trials come upon us and we cannot control. Certain trials we cannot control. No matter how hard we try with whatever we have, we can't control those. And we begin to learn a lesson in Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who built it. Trials remind us that He's God and we're not. And sometimes that trial is not going to leave. Well, all the time that trial is not going to leave until He's ready for it to leave. It's there. It could be months, it could be years, it could be decades. So trials help us lose our confidence in ourselves. Secondly, trials help us lose confidence in our circumstances. Well, I've got a great job and everything's going wonderful and I got a good retirement. And I live in a great neighborhood, and everybody's healthy, and I'm really hopeful for the future. Really. Here's the reality. Many times our hope, or lack of hope, is really based upon our circumstances, isn't it? Let's be real. Let's be honest. We're optimistic about the future because, hey... (laughs) Everything's lining up great over here. Business is booming. Economy's going well. Everybody seems to like me. I've got lots of friends. I mean, Joseph had a pretty good thing going on, didn't he? He was the favored of his father. He got the, co- the, co- the robe, the multicolored robe. He was the heir apparent to the family. And all of a sudden, his circumstances changed. The question is, what happened to his hope? Because circumstances are going to change. And we're not going to be able to get out of every situation. So, trials cause us to lose confidence in ourselves, our circumstances. And finally, for those of us who really are depending upon people, It helps take care of that confidence as well. Let's go back. Remember, remember, here we are now. The the brothers have come to Egypt to get food. And Joseph has created a conundrum for them, a problem for them. And they're beginning to feel guilty. In verse, uh, chapter 42, verse 21, then they said to one another, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. 
What a little snapshot into what happened at the cistern. You can just see Joseph in the cistern crying out to his brothers to have mercy. Okay, okay, guys, quit joking around now. Come on now. It's okay. I mean, all right, I'll, I'll leave you alone. I mean, you can just see him begging and pleading, especially when they pulled him out of the cistern and, and sent him down with the caravan to Egypt. These were his brothers. These were his family. What did Joseph learn? Can't trust people there, can you? How about the betrayal of Potiphar's wife and Potiphar? That didn't go real well, did it? Potiphar was kind of his, his road to being successful. When our hope goes to a person instead of Christ, what happens that person gets removed in some way, shape, or form, or they betray us. Genesis 40, 14 and 15. So here we are today. These two servants of the king have come into the court. Joseph's like, okay, here's, this is opportunity. God could work through these people. So look what he says to the cupbearer, verses 14 and 15. Only remember me when it's well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I've done nothing that they should put me into the pit. Don't forget me. Don't forget me. Remember, I'm the one who interpreted your dream. It was a good interpretation. The other guy, it didn't go too well for him. Sorry about that. But remember me. I've been here. I've been falsely accused. I'm here. Please, please, don't, please don't forget me. What's the scripture say? Verse 23, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. For how long? Two years. Wow. God uses trials in our lives to bring us to the point where we learn to place our full hope in God and God alone. That's the goal, isn't it? That's the purpose, is to put our full hope in Him. We know the song, God Leads Us Along, don't we? Sometimes on the mount where the sun shines so bright, God leads His dear children along. Sometimes in the valley, in darkest of night, God leads His dear children along. Some through the waters, and some through the, through the flood, some through the fire but all through the blood of Christ. Some through great sorrow, but God gives a song in the night season and all the day long. That's such a great hope that God leads us through whatever trials that we face. The second point is, God. first point is, God has these trials for his reasons. The second point is this, God determines the length of our trials. And he knows what's best. I remember when I was growing up, my dad would give me a spanking. Rarely, of course, you know. <clears throat> and I would tell him when it was time for it to be done. Okay, Dad, that's good. Thank you so much. Really appreciate the discipline. Not so much. He just kind of kept going. Um, kept, kept dealing with me. 
God knows the perfect time. And he continues to stretch our faith and stretch our hope and stretch our trust in him. I'm sure Joseph, while he was in prison, thought about Abraham. How long did God stretch Abraham out before Isaac came? Isaac, we know, he was 40 when his wife was still without children, and he was praying for her to have children. Jacob, we know his situation. He, it took him 20 years to get away from his, his father-in-law. 20 years. And God finally said, okay, it's time to go. Let's move on. God's timetable is not our timetable. But God's promises are true according to his timetable, not ours. Dwight Eisenhower was a model soldier. Graduated from West Point before World War I. And he was so looking forward to getting into battle and leading men in battle. He, it, was in his, it was in his bones. Uh, but he didn't get to go into battle. He was uh, sent to the 57th Infantry Division here in San Antonio to train soldiers for the war that was going on. Um, he was given a new assignment with the tank corps to develop that. He did a great job there. He finally gets orders to go to Europe. Orders dated November 18th, 1918. Problem is, the war ended November 11th, 1918. He continues to serve in obscure areas of the military. <clears throat> He's even under, under Douglas MacArthur for 10 years as his assistant and doing all that Mr. MacArthur wanted him to do, General MacArthur. He was 51 and going, my life is wasted. I'll never be set free. He would ask for a transfer. MacArthur would cancel it. And MacArthur, in his own words, even said, he is an exceptional soldier. And you know the rest of the story. Late in life, he's called to be the supreme commander of all the generals. And to be a president for eight years. Eight years of prosperity in this country. He was a great leader, wanting and waiting and longing to move forward and to, to be in battle and to lead. <clears throat> you may be in a situation where you don't feel like you're being used. Be faithful where you are. Trust God. Take advantage of your opportunities. The Lord's timing is not wrong. Trust Him and He will take care of you. Let's look at some application points and we're going to be finished. We've already talked about this first one. How's your worship when you're going through the fire of a trial? We have people in our church right now going through trials. How are we doing in our worship? Here's another one. Joseph, in the midst of his trial, was doing what? Was serving and ministering. He ministered to those two men, the cupbearer and the baker. How are you when you're in the middle of a trial as far as serving others and caring for them? Or is it all about me? 
I'm in a trial right now. Don't you see that? I can't be doing anything else but just this. It's really important in our, in our fellowship. And just speaking to you as a pastor. It's really important to be aware of the trials of our brothers and sisters here. Those who are struggling financially. Those who have children who have went away from the Lord. Those who are dealing with health issues. Uh, there's a whole list of things that could be considered. Um, for those of us who see no partners for our children. Or if you're a young man or woman, you see no prospects for marriage. That is a trial, isn't it? You're waiting, you're looking, you're praying. We need to love each other and come alongside and encourage each other in the trials that we're facing. We all have a load to carry in some way, shape, or form. God gives all of us different trials. Sometimes it's health issues, finances, security, all kinds of different things. Are we praying for each other? Are we coming alongside to say, listen, how's it going here? How's this going? To come alongside our, our young people and say, listen, continue to be faithful, continue to serve God, continue to pray, continue to wait for God to bring the right one to you. Remember, God's not finished with you yet. <clears throat> Remember that He's preparing you for the works that He has laid out. First Timothy four eight says, "Bodily training is of some value; godliness is of value to in every way, both for the present life and the life to come." We think our usefulness is over when this life is over. The Bible says, no, it's not. We've got another whole life to live for God. And he's going to use everything down here to train us and prepare us. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. And Lord, we acknowledge that you are in control of all things. And Lord, we all have our different trials that we're facing. Father, I pray right now that you'd help us to commit ourselves to trusting you, to knowing that you're with us in the middle of it, and that you are our hope. Father, I pray for us as brothers and sisters in Christ that we would comfort each other with the comfort you've given us. That we would readily come alongside each other to see how, how, how we're doing. That there would be nobody here who's struggling in a trial all by themselves. But there are people praying for them, loving them, encouraging them, walking with them through that. Father, we're grateful 
that you bring every trial to an end in your time. Father, we thank you for Joseph, a wonderful picture of a servant that you did break and that you did buffet by trials for your purpose. Lord, thank you for the faithfulness of Joseph that we know is a small reflection of the faithfulness of Christ. Grant us grace, we pray, to walk in a way that's pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen.